0: that's right my friends why don't you come on in while we just do a final systems check just a few routine. hey
1: mo hey mo hey Bo.
0: don't worry this is all part of the demonstration just testing oh, nemo i am not going to lose you again do you hear me nemo <laughs> As you enter our sound stage, we ask that you please keep your parties together and please refrain from smoking, eating, drinking, and flash photography. Thank you. W-, w-, w Radio, your information
1: station. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the WDW Radio Show, your Walt Disney World information station. I am your host, Lou Mangiello, and this is show number 212 for the week of March 6th, 2011. Walt Disney World is filled with overlooked experiences, hidden treasures, and even a few wonderful locations that are often missed by even the most seasoned guest. One such place can be found at the Villas at Disney's Wilderness Lodge and is a quiet, cozy room filled with great stories and direct connections to Walt Disney. This week, We'll visit and take a close look at the Carrollwood Pacific Room. Filled with photos, trains, and some very intriguing pieces of authentic Disney history, it's both a museum honoring Walt Disney's love of trains, as well as a quiet getaway. I'll have a few important announcements about some upcoming events, and then play more of your voicemails at the end of the show, so sit back, relax... And enjoy this week's episode of the WDW Radio Show. I often talk about overlooked experiences... ...inside the parks, whether they may be things beyond the attractions and the shows... ...and things to do as you're wandering through details to stop and notice. And we've talked in the past about some of those details being in in places outside the, the parks... ...like the resorts and downtown Disney and really everywhere on property. But oftentimes when I come to Walt Disney World, I like to just find places to sit back, relax and enjoy the environment. And that especially holds true at some of the resorts because they are so very well-themed, and that is your opportunity to take some time and enjoy the decor and the details and the ambiance of where you are. And uh, I almost hate doing this segment because I'm going to give away one of my favorite sort of -of out-of-the-way places to sit and relax in sort of a little quiet nook located at one of the Walt Disney World resorts. And before I tell you what it is, I want to introduce my very special guest who's going to talk to us not just about the location and the venue and the incredible details, but the story behind it and its relation to Walt Disney. And you remember him from such podcasts as Walt Disney, One Man's Dream. He is, of course,
0: the indomitable Jim Corcus. I've never been called that before. <laughs> a lot of adjectives used to describe me, but, but never that. And Lou, as always, a, a real joy to talk with you, and, and again, share with your listeners. You have some of the best, most knowledgeable listeners in the world. I've had the opportunity to meet some of them in person, like at your 200th uh, podcast. They are just terrific. I hope each one has bought a copy <laughs> of my book, The Vault of Walt at Amazon.com, and have bought copies for their friends and uh, uh, an extra copy in case the first copy gets lost or ruined. And Amazon's selling it for only 14 bucks right now. So One to read,
1: one to preserve on the shelf. That's that's the idea. So, <laughs> But Jim and I, I we are spending a, a nice quiet evening, and I was sincere when I said this is one of my favorite sort of out-of-the-way places to get away from the parks. I don't know if you can hear the ambient background music behind us, but another reason why I like this is not just because of the big comfy chairs and the fireplace, but because of the story that this has, not just its imagined story, but its relationship to Walt Disney, the man. And we are in the Carrollwood Pacific Room over at the Disney's Wilderness Lodge Villas. Uh, this was originally known as the Iron Spike Room, so obviously you get a sense that it very much has to do with Walt Disney's personal love of trains as well as the railroad connection that I think a lot
0: of people overlook, maybe don't understand or see when they walk in the door, and its connection to Wilderness Lodge. Absolutely, and and we're hearing the ambient sound, but we're not hearing the ambient sound of other people because I don't think a lot of people uh, uh, know where this is. This is one of my favorite uh, locations uh, as well. And so if um, uh, Fort Wilderness is the story of the settlers... Of of the wilderness with the log cabins there, and if uh, Wilderness Lodge is the is the story of the uh, explorers and trappers and the the Native Americans, uh, the story of the villas here are the are the stories of the railroad uh, workers who uh, opened up uh, the wilderness. So in in fact, when we first came in, after we uh, passed a, a wonderful uh, a sign of uh, Mickey and and Humphrey the Bear in silhouette, uh, we enter the lobby, and the lobby is done up as a roundhouse because, again, this was done by railroad workers. And and up above we saw uh, animal carvings, again done by William Robinson, who did uh, a lot of the animal carvings in uh, uh, the Wilderness Lodge, and we saw the Ingle Nook, which we realized we were unable to drink because Ingle Nook is actually a, a chimney corner. Uh, and uh, then we came into the Iron Spike Room. The Iron Spike Room was uh, dedicated in uh, October 2003. And then uh, Michael Brogie, who wrote a, a magnificent uh, book, Walt Disney's uh, uh, Railroad Story, which I r- highly uh, recommend.
1: He actually was one of my very early guests on the show going back to probably single-digit
0: shows back in 2007. And, and how jealous are you that he knew <laughs> Walt personally and rode on Walt's backyard train? His Walt
1: Disney ice cream story still resonates with me to this day. Uh, I'll try and link in this week's show notes, but you can go to iTunes or WWRadio.com, Go back to the very early shows. You've got to hear the interview with Michael Brogan and his stories, personal stories of Walt Disney.
0: And uh, uh, thanks to him, the, the, this uh, room, this area, was rededicated in October 2007 as the Carrollwood Pacific Room. And uh, of course, uh, Michael is the uh, uh, president of the Carrollwood Pacific uh, Historical Society, a great website to, uh, to visit. But Carrollwood Pacific uh, refers to uh, Walt's uh, backyard train, which existed in his Holmby Hills uh, home from. Uh, uh, May of 1950 through uh, the spring of 1953 uh, Walt had this wonderful uh, railroad uh, background growing up in uh, Marceline Missouri uh, he loved uh, hearing uh, there was a train station there but trains would go by all the time he loved hearing those um, his uncle was uh, Mike Martin who was a uh, engineer on the Santa Fe and would take uh, uh, Walt and Roy uh, on the train and Uh, bring them candy, tell them wonderful stories. And uh, something that a lot of people don't realize is that Walt's father, Elias, worked for a brief time before he married Flora uh, for the Union Pacific as a machinist and uh, uh, laying um, rails, laying track between uh, Kansas and uh, Colorado. So he had stories to tell Walt uh, uh, as well. And um, Roy uh, O. Disney, his uh, older brother, uh, was a news butcher, a candy butcher on, uh, on on the Santa Fe. And that meant that it was a young boy and he held that little uh, box with straps in front of him and sold cigars and candy and uh, cold soda pop and things like that and sandwiches, you know, walking up and down uh, all of the, the cars. And uh, Roy did that for uh, about uh, two summers, maybe three. And then he got... Uh, Walt uh, a job and Walt only lasted uh, uh, one summer because Walt was a terrible uh, businessman Uh, because you make your profit on um, after people drink the soda pop on uh, getting the deposit on the bottles and uh, uh, some of the passengers thought he was just a, a kid so they would take the bottles and they would actually throw them out the windows just to see them splatter out there But the big mistake Walt would make was Walt would gather up the empties and then put them in the back car, and sometimes the cars would shift out. And so one time he lost all the empty bottles uh, uh, completely. But Walt was very, very clever and very, very curious, and so uh, uh, he would go back into the baggage car and sell uh, cigars and chewing tobacco to the, the workers who were there, and he'd hear all these stories. And he would also climb over the tender into the engine cabin for cigars and to chewing tobacco for the engineers there. And they showed him exactly how a train works. Sometimes they would even let him uh, run the things besides just pulling the whistle. And so uh, by the end of that summer, Walt uh, ended up owing money uh, to the company, but um, had this huge knowledge and love of trains that uh, came out uh, a lot later in his life.
1: And certainly, we see, we all know the story, you know, moving forward about him putting the train in his backyard, why all of the Disney theme parks have a train surrounding their Magic Kingdoms. Uh,
0: and, and that was uh, wonderful. Uh, Walt, of course, was uh, looking for a hobby, and um, people who uh, worked at his uh, studio, including Ward Kimball, had a full size train in his backyard, and uh, Ollie Johnston had a uh, a small-sized uh, uh, train in his backyard and all of that, and Walt thought this was a, a great idea, so he hooked up with uh, uh, Roger Brogy, uh, Michael's uh, father, who uh, is often called the first Imagineer, and uh, in the machine shop at the studio there, literally built uh, the Lily Bell, the um, engine there. This was uh, one-eighth uh, scale, and... Uh, Uh, It's the number 173 because uh, it was based on the plans for uh, an 1880s uh, Central Pacific uh, engine, the 173, uh, which was was very uh, stylish. And Walt, of course, named it Lily Bell to try and get on his wife's good (laughs) side because uh, she didn't want this uh, dirty, smelly thing uh, steaming through her uh, backyard, especially – through her uh, flower garden while she was playing bridge with her friends. So Walt literally had to get the uh, lawyer at uh, uh, the Disney Studios to draw up a right-of-way contract and have his wife and his daughters (laughs) sign it. And the only way he got it was uh, by promising not to go through the uh, flower bed. And so he looked at all sorts of things like a, a, a raised berm or a um, a bridge and finally settled on a tunnel that would go underneath the flowers but knowing walt it uh, it wasn't um, an ordinary tunnel it was an s-curve tunnel so that when you went into the tunnel you couldn't see the light at the end of the tunnel so you didn't know how long that was going to be so uh, that uh, that also affected dark rides later at uh, at disneyland and uh, Someone came up to Walt and said, well, you know, it would be cheaper if you just went straight. And Walt said, it would be cheaper if I didn't do it at all. If we're going to do it, let's do it right. (laughs) So, um, uh, and uh, he had a a little barn there. And he put in, uh, interestingly enough, he put in a a CTC system. Now, uh, for those of you who are not uh, familiar with uh, trains or model railroading or whatever – that system would have allowed more trains to be put on. So instead of just one train, there could have been several trains, and that system would have helped uh, avoid collisions so that one train wouldn't run into another train. Uh, Something that a lot of people don't uh, realize, because there's always more to a a story, is that in um, spring of 1953, when he closed down the whole thing, at the studio they were actually building a second engine. And Walt put a stop to that. He he, he uh, put a stop to it in in 1953 because. Uh, His backyard was filling up with strangers because as soon as word got around that there's a train and you can get free rides, there were all sorts of people. And so Walt was worried about accidents. Walt was worried about – and there had been an accident in 53 where uh, the engine had had, uh, tipped over and uh, hot steam had come out of the the whistle. And uh, a little girl who was uh, curious uh, uh, came over to to take a look and she got uh, minor burns on her – on, on one of her her legs and Walt put ice on it and reassured her and you know but Walt realized oh my gosh this has become too popular uh, uh, for that uh, to happen and in fact and we, we have to stop for a
1: second sure. because we need to sort of put this in context and I did the same thing to yeah. to Michael Brogy because he's talking about riding on these miniature trains and for those who maybe aren't familiar with scale uh, you know think of a sort of normal sized uh, train Box car or cattle car. This size scale was maybe four feet long Mm -hmm. or so, maybe two feet wide. But they were big enough so that a child or a small adult like myself could actually ride in a car or on top of it. So you were able to go. Friends were coming over to Mm -hmm. Walt Disney's house to go into his backyard, ride the train that he basically put together, and then oh by the way, he'd probably make you an ice cream cone or. Put water on your
0: burner. I, you know, we, we can't fathom that now. And, and it probably wasn't an ice cream cone. It was an ice cream soda because he <laughs> he, he loved mixing flavors. And, and one time he came up with a uh, a champagne ice cream float, which his daughter Sharon said was just absolutely <laughs> hideous. But but Walt loved to experiment. And, yes, one of the exciting things here in the Carrollwood Pacific Room is we have two of the cars that Walt built and a stretch of track. He had... Uh, uh, over 2,600 feet of track in his, his backyard there. And uh, over here we have the cattle car and we have a gondola that were the actual part of the Carrollwood uh, Pacific. And, and, again, people don't know that. People don't come here and, and uh, take a look. This was donated by uh, Diane Disney Miller and the Disney family. Uh, the rest of the um, Carrollwood Pacific is uh, up at the Disney Family Museum. In uh, uh, San Francisco, and again, we should also mention it 's called Carrollwood Pacific because uh, his home was on Carrollwood drive, so that 's why it was the Carrollwood Pacific and as we were talking a little earlier today, the gondola there, uh, and there were two of them uh, served the purpose that they uh, a small child could could ride in them, or a woman with a dress so it would be modest instead of straddling on top of a cattle car or a box car. Uh, as you went around, and uh, yes, uh, it's amazing how small they are right now. So obviously people in the 50s were a lot <laughs> smaller uh, than you and I, uh, Lou, because I don't think I would have been able to have balanced on that because, again, you'd have the vibration of that going through. You're going over a, uh, an overhead uh, uh, trestle that went over Yensid Valley, which, of course, <laughs> is Disney spelled backwards, and you're going through the tunnel. Uh, the whole thing. In fact, Roy E. Disney told the story that uh, uh, he derailed the train one time because he was uh, sitting uh, up on that uh, uh, cattle car, and uh, uh, just as, as kids would would do, he was running his uh, um, you know foot uh, on the uh, uh, gravel uh, nearby, and the gravel kicked up into the wheels, and you know derailed the the car here and fortunately we also have a uh, that's an one-eighth scale but we also have a g scale model that was uh produced by heartland uh, locomotive as a commemorative edition um back for the hundred years of magic in, in 2001 so you get a look and we've got those wonderful photos too of uh, uh, of uh, all of this and uh uh, Roger Brogy said that, uh, yes, it, it was heartbreaking when Walt said, yeah, come take the train and let's put it in storage. So they they shoved the uh, uh, cars um, into the tunnel and then boarded up the tunnel. Uh, the caboose, which was Walt's favorite, went into the, the uh, barn. And then uh, the lily Bell, the engine, was taken to the studio and uh, was actually – Put underneath um, Bob Gurr's desk and you hey don't put that under my desk no you don't say those things and put under his desk and and Bob said that yeah Walt would come by every now and then and take a look and and touch it very affectionately and go surely there's something we can do can we put the track around the back of this studio and all of this and uh, so yes very much the birth of uh, uh, Disneyland and uh, well, yeah. And I think it's
1: I think it's important because you know we you mentioned Disneyland. Yeah. Everyone says, oh, that's where Walt walked. And when we talked about One Man's Dream, we look for things that were Walt. You know, was that really his desk? Was the mm-hmm. did he do the dancing man? But this is an important piece of Disney history. And people say, well, Walt Disney World has no real connection to Walt. You know, this is something that beyond something he created for the theme parks was very personal to him uh, and truly something that he enjoyed. And I think that's why it's important that we introduce people to the fact that it's here because I think even people, we saw a few people walk by, they either didn't pay attention or didn't realize, you know, beyond the beautiful pictures of Walter in here, Mm -hmm. that's something that Walt touched. It's something he worked on that meant so much to him.
0: Well, uh, that's the um, uh, advantage and disadvantage of uh, Walt Disney World is that it really is a a place of discovery. You know, uh, unless you know there are so many things you're going to, to miss. But once you discover them, it it's wonderful. And it's wonderful to share with uh, uh, friends and uh, uh, family uh, for that to happen. And, and you know, uh, speaking of missing things, uh, we did that podcast on the Wilderness Lodge. There's a whole uh, part of Wilderness Lodge history uh, that is just lost. And what's amazing to me is if a story is invisible, if a story, if guests don't understand the story, then it just the story just dies. And usually, if a story is too complicated, it, it dies. So we we always talk about the the Pleasure Island story and the story of uh, Meriwether Adam, Pleasure and the the plaques and uh, and that w- that went on for pages and pages and pages and and i'll be serious i have i've been researching it for for years and i still run across little elements of of that story but it it got so complicated people couldn't follow it as opposed to uh uh, the story of the haunted mansion is very simple it's 999 uh, uh happy haunts that have uh uh, retired, but they're they're looking to socialize and they're looking for one more uh, to, to, to join them.
1: Well, it's simple, but more importantly, it's visible. You know, the story mm-hmm. of Wilderness Lodge, and you'll get to how that story was presented to guests, uh, was almost something that they ha- kind of had to look for. And Pleasure Island is the same way. Yeah, there were, were plaques, most of which were overlooked because of, of where they were placed. Certainly no depth in the backstory, but if anybody walked here into the villas, they wouldn't get the sense that the people who were building the railroad heading out west built this as the place that they were going to live. And I think we find this a lot in Disney World. You know, you can't walk into the Emporium and understand the story of Osh Popham and, and the progression of that. And that's why I, I love doing these things with you to, mm. to share it because we want people to appreciate what they're seeing and understand it more importantly.
0: Right. And, and to know the story, because if you know the story, then you're more likely to share it with uh, others. And that's that's very important. Now, with the Wilderness Lodge, they did try to make a effort when the lodge opened in uh, 1994 to share the story. Uh, when you registered, when you checked in, you were given a newspaper. And the newspaper, of course, had um, all those uh, uh, guest services you needed uh, to know about. You know, when is when is the pool uh, open, where where can you go eat, what are those hours for that, all of that. But very cleverly, they did it up as a commemorative newspaper called the uh, Silver Creek Star because, of course, uh, coming out of the uh, Wilderness Lodge is Silver Creek, which is going down to the swimming pool there and out to, to Bay Lake. And so they had all of this information, but there was still plenty of space. So what they did is they put in the story, the history of the uh, Wilderness Lodge and that history began with uh, Colonel Ezekiel Moreland who was a, a field commander in the war of uh, 1812 and roughly about 10 years later um, about uh, 1823 uh, by then he was widowed he had a uh, an adult daughter who was an art curator but uh, he was inspired by the explorations of, of Lewis and Clark so he put together a, um, uh, a, a group of uh, 50 people, of topographers, photographers, uh, ex-military men, whatever. And they started off from St. Louis. They were going off to explore the Wild West. And uh, about 80 miles into this adventure... They ran into a buffalo stampede, 10,000 buffalo, and so they climbed trees and rocks and all this to get out of the way, but the camp was destroyed. Most of their food was destroyed, and so everybody wanted to limp back to St. Louis, and basically uh, uh, Colonel Moreland said, you bunch of cowards, I've got my gun, I've got the courage, that's all I need, and he disappeared for two years. Now, during those two years, uh, apparently he discovered the wonderful valley where uh, Wilderness Lodge Uh, was eventually built and uh, had some adventures but uh, coming out of those adventures uh, for for two years uh, he came out with uh, some beaver pelts and some other valuable furs and so he was literally a very, very rich man and so he went uh, to talk with his daughter uh, Genevieve who was nicknamed Jenny and that is really where the story of the Wilderness Lodge begins.
1: And again, something that is invisible to guests. If they had not taken the time to read their things, they would not understand where that came from and where things like Aunt Jenny's came from and and how these things got their
0: names. And so basically what happened is uh, uh, Jenny uh, took a leave of absence from her job as an art curator. There was a young artist, uh, Gustav, who uh, was infatuated with Jenny, but also... uh, uh, loved all the stories he was hearing about the wilderness and all this. And so uh, Colonel Moreland mounted another expedition and they came out and they started to uh, build uh, the lodge. Actually, before they built the lodge, uh, Gustav saw this uh, rock uh, outcropping and it showed this beautiful vista. So he climbed up there and set up his easel and his paints and all of this. And there was a slight tremor. So the easel almost fell off. He almost fell off. But, you know, he caught it all in time, and he smiled to the colonel, and he says, hey, you know, I'm a, I'm a pioneer as well. And the colonel smiled back because he knew what was going to happen next. The geyser went off. And so the easel fell over, and Gustafa he wasn't hurt, but he loved that location. And so he'd go there to paint, and other artists came to paint. And so later, as the lodge expanded to honor that, they built Artist's Point. So you have that huge vista that these artists saw, as well as all of these murals uh, uh, along the wall. And, um, oh, that, that, uh, that uh, cabin out there where you uh, can rent boats and all that. That was supposed to be Moreland's first cabin on his first visit out here. That's what he built. That's why it's so small. It's not small because it's a rental place. It's small because that's all Moreland could build. So all of this is getting tied together and tied together, and it all gets convoluted where you're coming up with a story for everything, including a swimming pool, for crying out loud. So the the story of the, the swimming pool actually started with uh, Georgie McGregor, who showed up. Uh, this was after Moreland had passed away, and, and Jenny had really committed to building this as a lodge so that people could um, really enjoy the wilderness, artists, writers, all of this could come out. And so... Um, Georgie said, well, I'm a cook because there's a shortage of cooks out in the Wild West. And so she hired him, but his cooking was terrible. The, the people were complaining about uh, holes in the fish and uh, the, nothing tasted good and, and, and all of this. Uh, she, she was going to give Georgie a um, a room in, in the lodge, and he says, no, 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 I'll, I'll just— I'll, I'll, I'll just make a small cabin uh, out there by, by the, uh, the creek because it'll be easier to wash pots and pans, and uh, I'll, I'll be able to fish and catch the trout. Well, one day on a, a surprise visit, uh, she go, and that's why it's called Trout Pass out there. Uh, she went out uh, – Jenny went out to check on him and found that he was using the pots and pans to, to look for gold and silver in the, uh, in the stream. And she had to explain to him, no, no, it, there, there's no – you know, there's uh, only fool's gold out here. Yes, it's a hot mineral stream, but there's no gold. There's no silver. And uh, she saw that he was shooting the trout with his gun, which is why the fish were having holes in it. And uh, she said, no, the, this place is going to be known for its culinary, for, for its cooking. I can't afford to have you, you know, have this terrible reputation. So she fired him as, as a cook, brought in a, a wonderful cook and, uh, who did some uh, wonderful dishes. But in order for him to pay off what he owed, uh, Georgie had to do some um, – uh stuff around the, the lodge including uh, uh, some errands going to the trading post uh, serving breakfast and so one morning after returning from the the, uh, the trading post with two crates, one he dropped off in, in the kitchen um, and he served breakfast and everybody was coming how great the breakfast was oh this is a marvelous breakfast As they were eating there was a huge explosion so it wasn't the fire rock geyser what had happened? is he had gotten dynamite. He, and he, as a result, he blew a huge crater into the, into the stream, and he was sent uh, flying up into the top of a, of a tree. But the guests of the lodge loved the crater because it gave them a wonderful place to, to bathe. And so that's the story of, of uh, uh, the swimming pool. The, the story of the fire rock geyser is uh, on Moreland's first... Uh, trip uh, out into the wilderness and discovering the valley, uh, he set up a tent by um, uh, Bay Lake, but the the cold winter air coming across the uh, lake and all of that, he, he was starting to shiver. So he moved closer to the hot springs. And imagine his surprise when a hunting party, a Native American, showed up because they had been using this area uh, for years to extend their hunting season. And uh, he didn't speak their language, they didn't speak his, but he smiled, he offered them food, and eventually they communicated and they uh, the wise man of the tribe, running elk uh, who only had two teeth uh, <laughs> uh, told uh, the the story of uh, uh, the fact that uh, yes, the uh, first Indian hunting party uh, discovered this this area when it was just freezing and uh, in snow, and they set up uh, a fire, which they had to keep going uh, 24 hours because it was just so cold. But after the fifth day, they noticed that the earth was was cracking and rumbling. And so, what do they do? Have they angered the gods by misusing fire with this continuous fire? Uh, you know, but they're so cold. They tossed on another log, and 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 that was basically about it. The earth just exploded. The geyser came up, blew up a, a lot of their camp uh, high into the air, and uh, they ran away telling people to avoid this valley because they had angered the the, the gods. But uh, after a period of time, other Indian hunting par- parties realized that, no, it, it this was a blessing from the gods so they could extend their, their hunting season. Wonderful story. Guests were taking a look at the newspaper and going, where do I get the towels? <laughs> so so the entire story was lost. And then over the years, what happens is um, uh, the Silver Creek Star newspaper became smaller and smaller. And as it became smaller and smaller, things were taken out. That story was taken out. And to me, the sad part of this story is um, one of the hidden treasures here at uh, – uh, Walt Disney World is the Wilderness Lodge. Still, Thursday through Sunday, uh, gives a free tour called um, what is it? Mysteries of the Lodge, Treasures of the Lodge. I think it's I think it's the Treasures of the Lodge. Yes, and so it, it's absolutely free. Ta- Taste of the Lodge. Okay, and it, it's absolutely free. You, uh, it's like about 9 o'clock in the morning, 10 o'clock in the morning. Oh, no, I'm sorry. It's Treasure
1: Lodge, Taste of the Lodge. Um, I don't know if they still do that one. No, I don't think That's the culinary do. one. Yeah, the architectural and landscaping one might, might be Treasures of the Lodge.
0: And, and uh, so call. Call before you come out because they're constantly changing because they used to offer it uh, uh, every day of the week. And as, as Lou was saying, they also offered one where you would go in and you'd get a nice little uh, uh, free taste. Uh, and, and so you have a ranger that takes you around and will explain some of the things about the lodge, but he also has what is called the big book of the lodge. And, uh, that's so in case guests ask questions and the ranger doesn't have that in his particular spiel or whatever, he can go back, you know, behind the, uh, uh, check-in counter and open the binder, the big book of the lodge and, and probably find the answer. And uh, I took uh, I took the uh, uh, tour uh, just about two months ago. Loved it, and um, but I asked about Ezekiel Moreland in that story, and the the ranger said, "Well, I've heard that, but we don't have that in the big binder." And, and she says, "We don't even have a copy of that uh, original newspaper uh, to go with that." And that whole tour started with a cast member by the name of uh, Stan Moore. So it was Ranger Stan for 20 years. He retired. Uh, two years ago on Halloween. And um, uh, he came down because uh, he wanted to spend time with his daughter and his grandson. And he got a job at, at Disney, actually working as a bus driver over at uh, Fort Wilderness. And as soon as he got that job, his his daughter and grandson moved away. Uh, and the I believe it was the general manager over there brought him over to uh, Wilderness Lodge, and he started... Uh, ranger stan so he started the flag raising for families in the morning and and uh taking uh people around on a little tour so that they could better appreciate uh the resort and uh I'm, I'm sure some of the listeners here have wonderful memories of Ranger Stan because he did it for 20 years for crying out loud. I, I went on a Ranger Stan uh, tour, and he just seemed warm and wonderful and, and knowledgeable. And I wish more cast members would do that and more resorts would have tours tell us, uh, tell us the, the story of that because we were talking that there's stories at the other resorts. Ranger Stan was very much like Art the
1: Greeter, somebody who was a fixture at the Beach Club. Everybody loved and had, and, and was one of those exceptional cast members. But you're right. You know, I, I, when you, we were talking about the very detailed story here, we thought about Pleasure Island. I think about Adventures Club and the detailed backstory there. We did a show uh, probably two years ago, somewhere in 2008. I'll link it up in this week's show notes where we talked about Port Orleans because that too, Dixie Landings, Port Orleans, the two resorts – Have also a very, very detailed backstory. And questions I I consistently get when we talk about these, because people, I think, are fascinated by the fact that they exist. It makes things make sense. It connects them to a story that they didn't know exists. The two questions I get most often are, number one, where do they keep all these stories? Who has all these stories? You you evidence that sometimes Disney doesn't even have them, uh, because they're created to Develop a lodge, and then they're they're lost over time. Um, sometimes maybe they feel it's, they're not that important to, to keep. And then other people ask me, well, if nobody knows these stories and nobody is relaying these stories, why does Disney create them in the first place? If, they, if they've already designed the guys, or why do they feel the need to create this elaborate backstory that nobody's going to tell, nobody
0: will ever find out. Well, oftentimes business needs change, and the Disney brand changes. In fact, a perfect example is uh, Pleasure Island. You know, it's now going to become Hyperion Wharf, and so Pleasure Island is now expunged from the the storyline. Is uh, at, at Toontown Fair, is Cornelius Coot going to be eliminated, even though he's lasted since Mickey's uh, birthday land? And, and again, uh, stories are are a living oral tradition. So they, they can change. And, and you oftentimes adapt stories to new audiences. But, but a classic story is, is a classic story. And one of the things I've been doing lately is, is doing some research into the, the stories of the uh, uh, resorts. And, and at Port Orleans, one of the things is that um, uh, at, when Port Orleans opened, they had a restaurant called uh, Bonfamille, And people go, oh, yes, yes. But a lot of people don't realize that that character was the woman who was the owner of Duchess the Cat from Aristocats and all of that. And uh, if you ate there, the children's menu had a little scrapbook that told the story – of the cats taking the uh, ocean voyage to coming over to, to New Orleans and then her deciding to open a restaurant there. But in that scrapbook, it also told that as on the trip across, a sea serpent uh, uh, caught, uh, you know, uh, caught the attention of there and followed them to New Orleans because he loved music and so he decided to stay there. And his name is Scales, not just because there are musical scales, but as a tribute to Scales and Arpeggios, which was the song the Sherman Brothers did in the Aristocats. And that, um, that little uh, uh, children's menu, which no longer uh, uh, exists, uh, was created by uh, Greg Airbar. Uh, who And you should go buy his book, Mousetracks and go visit his uh, uh website. But he also named several other things. The, the food court often had uh, separate uh, little uh, uh, areas. And there was a place that sold beignets. And thank heavens, I love beignets. <laughs> uh, thank heavens it's not closer that I'd, I would have it every single day. But um, the name of the place was uh, uh, Jacques Beignet's Bakery. And Greg Greg started laughing and he says, Well, you got the joke, right? And I said, Well, Jacques, that's French for Jim and Beignet and he says, No, no, no. Say Jacques Beignet and and, and and say it fast. And so I kept saying it faster and faster. Jacques Beignets, Jacques Beignets, Jacques Jack Benny's. Jack. Ben <laughs> And so <laughs> so all of those little things, but yes, they're lost because um, they're not being documented. There, some are being passed along orally to other cast members, but they're being passed along, especially like at the Haunted Mansion, inaccurately. And so that, be, that changes the story entirely. So those of you who listen to Lou's podcast, you have a real responsibility. And your responsibility is to take these wonderful stories and to share them with others. And in that way, they're never lost. They go on for new generations, and and bring in a, another little piece of the puzzle of Disney history.
1: Well, Jim, you know you are such a prolific writer. In having written for Disney Files magazine, and the, obviously the Vault of Walt, I and can't Celebrations. speak Celebrations yeah. magazine. But the reason why I, I like having you come on here is because you are a master storyteller. You know, you are continuing a tradition that began with early man, and I sort of want people to feel as though. They're sitting around the campfire. They're sitting around the diner table, whatever it might be. And hearing you recount those stories uh, is so much better than just the written word. And you're right. I hope people not only learn and appreciate and understand more but pass those stories along. And I can tell you that we, and I personally, as a Disney enthusiast, first and foremost, are so grateful to have you be able to share those with me and with the listeners.
0: And you talked about sitting around the camp fire, early man didn't sit around the campfire just to tell stories. They sat around to eat that day's catch, and you promised that if I told these stories, we would go somewhere here on property and would eat. And so that is the true story, and the true secret of Jim Corcus is he can be bought by food. And I can be bought by chocolate. I love seized chocolate. I love dark chocolate. Uh, And uh, Lou... I love eating, and I love eating with you. And I think it's about time for us to wrap this up and go do that. A little trout with some holes in it, and then I'll take you over to Gear Deli. How's that? It sounds perfect. <laughs> sounds like the perfect meal. Thank you so much, Lou. I look forward to doing these podcasts. Thanks to all of those listeners, and thanks to all those wonderful things that you, you write in saying that you enjoy hearing these stories. I enjoy telling them. And, again, go share those stories, and go buy my book.
1: Vault of Walt. Vault of Walt. <laughs> That's all the time we have for this week's show. Thanks so much for taking the time and tuning in this and every week. Of course, huge thanks goes out to everybody who came on the WDW Radio Cruise on the Disney Dream, as well as the meets of the Month in Walt Disney World, both before and after the cruise. I am truly at a loss for words, you know how difficult that is for me, as to how much fun we all had. And what an incredible sense of community you all have created. Of course, we are going to talk much more about the cruise on the show. But I did also want to quickly share two important announcements with you, which I made on board. I'm going to go into more detail on a future show. But we all knew very early on in the cruise that it was turning into an incredible few days with laughs, new friendships, and some true Disney magic. So we decided we would do it all over again. And that means that we will be sailing on the Disney Dream once again, kind of WW Radio Cruise 2.0, in the fall of 2012. Now, we don't have an exact date as yet, as Disney has not released dates that far out, but definitely stay tuned. As soon as we get that, we will release it. What I can tell you is that it will be in the fall. It will be on the Dream. And we are looking for a date insert lawyer speak here, that will hopefully afford more people the opportunity to come while still being mindful of the fact that this time of year is far less expensive, as in half, than summer and some other times of the year. We already have so many people already rebooked for this cruise who booked while they were on board. Uh, I've already marked my calendar. Love the idea of having another cruise to look forward to. Again, fall 2012, we're going to talk about this a lot more as we start getting closer. Also I did reveal. Because many people have been asking me. Since last year. About the possibility of doing another 24 hour show. And I did let people know. That I am not going to do another one this year. Instead. And I think the lack of sleep. Must have finally caught up. Because in honor of Walt Disney World's 40th anniversary. Wait for it. We'll be doing a 40 hour live broadcast and series of events in Walt Disney World starting on October 1st, 2011 and running all weekend long stay tuned to the show and Twitter and Facebook for more details coming very soon and for more information about these events as well as other meets of the month other events going on in and out of Walt Disney World check out Disneymeets.com and we'll have the April meet of the month date hopefully in the next week or so Don't forget, too, I love hearing from you and having you all be part of the WDW Radio family and community. If you want to email me, my email address is lou at wdwradio.com if you have a question you want answered on the air. Or if you want to be heard on the air with a question, a comment, just a hello from the parks or even from the Disney Dream, you can call toll-free 888-703-2171. Be sure and come by the website for blog posts, photo galleries, videos, our fun, friendly, safe Discussion forums, lots more, including our free email newsletter, the WDW Radio Store, where you can get signed copies of my Walt Disney World trivia books, as well as the audio guides to Walt Disney World on CD or instantly downloadable files. Again, you can find all that at wdwradio.com. There you can also find videos as well. I will have many more videos coming from the Disney Dream uh, coming in the next couple of days and weeks, so stay tuned for that. And in addition to the show, don't forget to join us every Wednesday night at 7.30 p.m. Eastern for the WDW Newscast. It's a live, interactive news show covering Walt Disney World news, and you can be part of the broadcast and the discussion and talk about the news real time in the chat room while I'm doing the video broadcast. If you can't make it on Wednesday evenings, don't worry, you can watch almost right after the uh, broadcast is over, by checking out our YouTube channel. It's youtube.com slash radio You can also keep the conversation going there as well by posting in the comments section. And if you want to get the audio-only portion, I'll post that in the iTunes feed as well. Be sure and come by and subscribe to the WW Radio Show via iTunes. I also broadcast on March 2nd live from the Disney Dream. We did the newscast live from there. A little bit more... Disney Dream News as opposed to Walt Disney World News, but go by, check it out on YouTube because we also do a lengthy video tour of the Roy Disney Stateroom, uh, talk a little bit more while we're on deck, had a lot of fun with some people who are on the cruise, again you can see that and all the past videos at wdwradio.com in the video section or on youtube.com slash wdwradio. Quick thanks to my partners and sponsors, of course, Emmy High and Mouse Fan Travel, Becky and her team they are my official and recommended travel provider for all your vacation planning needs. No one does it the way d- they do, with the best possible prices and discounts. More importantly, with the most amazing level of personal service that truly is their hallmark. If you're looking to stay in around Walt Disney World, but want a vacation home with a private pool and spa, kitchen, game rooms, multiple master bedrooms, lots more, be sure to check out our friends over at AllStarVacationHomes.com. And if you wanna stay in the heart of Walt Disney World, you know one of my favorite places to stay is not just because of the Heavenly Beds and the 17 world-class restaurants and lounges, by heart Blue Zoo and Il Molino, go check out swananddolphin.com. Finally, my friends, there is a lot more coming, I promise you. Um, now that the cruise is over, I'm playing catch up and of course, moving forward on a few other projects that I hope to announce in the next couple of weeks. But as always, my friends, if you like the show, All I ask is that you please help spread the word. Let others know about it. Tweet out that you're listening to the show. Share the link on Facebook. Come by, review the show, and the free WDW Radio iPhone app over in iTunes. And I have to give you once again my sincerest thanks, not just for listening, but to everybody who came to the meets of the month and on the WW Radio Cruise. I I cannot tell you, and I cannot thank you enough for giving me such an incredible memorable experience something I will never ever forget I promise you so until next time my friends and I say it every week and you know it to be true you are my friends whether we have met or not I hope that you become inspired to pursue your passion and start to follow your dreams and when you do always keep moving forward until next week everybody have a great week thank you again see ya hey Lou Todd from
0: Jersey a long time no speak Just checking with you, hoping to be the uh, first person to welcome you back from the WW Radio Cruise. I gotta tell you how jealous that I am, but you guys were all out there having a great time on the dream. And we were sitting here back in freezing cold, New Jersey, wishing we were with you. Welcome back to the WW Radio Cruise. Can't wait to hear the podcast.
1: This is Darlene Nagy calling from the Disney Dream.
0: Hi guys, we're back in port, and I got some friends with me. Hello, hello, hello. We're really <laughs> upset
1: that we're getting off the stream. <laughs>
0: <laughs>
1: but we're gonna be coming back real soon. Oh, really? Hey, thanks Lou, thanks Becky for putting on a great party. We Canada not right guys? Yeah. yeah. Okay, we'll talk to you soon, Lou. This is six, seven, four, Bye. Hey. Woo! Hi Lou. Hi Becky. Hey Lou, it's Voyager Burial, Tammy, and I'm actually in Magic Kingdom right now on a Saturday night. I forget what it is. It's March the it's March the fifth and it's like eleven o'clock. That was my mom in the background. And we just wanted to say hi and we wanted to say oh well, my whole family wanted to say hi, ready?
0: 3... we We
1: just wanted to say that we love you and we wanted to say hi and we wanted to say thank you so much for the cruise and we hope to see you uh i don't love you lou i like you but i don't love you, you no he's just kidding he loves you and as debbie downer would say on snl my favorite ride is the hall of presidents and that's where and that's where we're heading right now so uh Everybody, have a great week. Thank you guys all so much for the cruise. Thank you, Lou. Thank you, Becky. And uh, I'll see you real soon, as it what Mickey said. Bye, guys.
0: Hey, Lou. It's Ron and Carolyn from St. Louis. We're just sitting at the Orlando airport getting ready to go back home after the dream cruise. Wonderful time. It really was a great, great opportunity to meet people of like minds. And, uh, you know, it was so great. We're going to do it again. How about next year? See ya. Bye.
1: Hey, Lewis, it's Jay from Jersey. Just wanted to let you know that Chris, the I and the kids had an awesome time on your cruise. We're on Magical Express heading back to the airport now. And uh, all the planning you put into it was well worth it. It was well done. There wasn't too much of any rush or um, panic to accomplish things. But it was a nice, casual, relaxing cruise. You had plenty of entertainment for everybody. And we're really looking forward to next year. Oh, and by the way, we hope to see the uh, slideshow that Tony did online. Talk will see you soon. Bye-bye. Thank you everyone for coming to the Disney Cruise line and thank you for everything. Welcome to Disney Cruise. Thank you and goodbye.
0: Mm-hmm. You got friends in me. You got a friend!